Hello. Happy Valentine's Day weekend, right? I hope that you had someone to tell that you love them, right? Maybe you told your kids that you love them. Maybe your uh, spouse. Uh, I hope it was a special time. Maybe your dog. A lot of us have very special animals that we snuggled up with, right? Um, I had a hard week. I had to go out on business to Austin, Texas. Never been there. Anybody from Austin? Yeah? Oh, that's a, that's a great city. It had me thinking. I'm thinking, this Austin's all right now. <laughs> um, so I came back Friday night about 8.30, and my lovely husband was ready for me. And he had the most massive card for me. That's like the Mac Daddy card, right? And not only that, he had Italian food waiting for me. He'd ordered out. He had um, wine. No, he... We, we decided to get the wine, but um, he did ask me. And he had, um, right? And so I'm looking at this card, and I'm thinking to myself, that is a massive card. And I love Frenchies. Uh, I can never afford to get a Frenchie because they're about $3,500. I'm just not paying that for a dog, I'm sorry. <laughs> My best friend has two Frenchies, so I just love up on her Frenchies. But he found this car, and I was like, what? This is amazing. I mean, it is, my life changed for the better when I met you. With love on Valentine's Day, this card is not big enough to express my love for you. So I got this Mac Daddy card. I'm feeling good. I got roses to look at. He's even willing to rub my feet. <laughs> and then I said, well, this card must have cost so much money. Why did you pay for this card? And he looked, and he says, only $3. <laughs> and he seemed more excited about that than the actual giving of the card to me. <laughs> Bob is all about value for money. <laughs> so, love my card. So, how you doing? I hope you all are doing well. You know, today, um, if you're new here to City Church, like Al said, we have been going through the book of Ezekiel, and we've been really focusing on worship, and it has been incredible. Um, there are a lot of things that are really exciting about Ezekiel. Um, and just as a recap, I'm not sure if we actually said it. I'm not sure if you said it, Al, but Ezekiel, uh, his name means God strengthens. God strengthens. How about that? You know, Ezekiel was a priest. He was a prophet. Uh, and, you know, prophet at those times, that was a hard gig because you basically were telling the people how they had sinned. Right? Um, he was also a husband. And I say that because, you know what, a lot of times we don't think about the folks in the Bible as having husbands and wives and those type of things. But he, he actually had a wife. And actually his wife died in 587 B.C. right as Jerusalem was falling. So it was really dark days for him. His ministry was 20 years long. And he was eventually sent into exile um, after Jerusalem was destroyed. And at that point, the presence of the Lord was completely gone. Now, what you remember about the book of Ezekiel 
is that he was speaking to a demoralized uh, population of the Jews. They were a remnant in Judah. And they had basically just been carried away under King Nebuchadnezzar to uh, um, Babylon. And so the overall theme of this book is pretty serious. It is that each individual is responsible for his or her own sin. Okay? And that the weight of everyone's sin at this time really did contribute to breaking God's covenant with his people. Okay. So I don't know about you. We're going to get ready to read the passage, but when we read passages in the Bible, sometimes we go, what is wrong with those people? <laughs> don't we? we go, what, what were they thinking? Right? But remember, we are those people without Jesus. Right? We get the advantage of the look back. <laughs> right? We can look back and we just go right into judgment. What were they thinking? If I saw, if I knew that, I would have never done that to God, right? Mm hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Remember, sin is no respecter of people. Doesn't matter who, it doesn't matter anything. Okay. And so I want to ask you, the folks that have been here, how has it been? Over the last two weeks, as Al has been preaching, how has it been? How has it been to worship? I mean, he's really laid down some incredible things. You know, I really want to talk about that because worship, we're going to talk a little bit more about it, but worship is not just about coming to church on Sunday. It's not. It's not just about coming to church on Sunday and hearing the awesome band. And they're awesome. Right? Um, for me, I, I do want to say it's been very powerful, and I'm going to share an experience that happened with me last week. But I have been thinking about worship in a lot of ways in a very linear manner, right? Um, and honestly, I can say <laughs> that I never saw the book of Ezekiel as a, a center of worship, right? Uh, I think of Psalms, maybe Song of Songs, um, and that's really silly. It is. It's silly. Because really the Bible, the Bible really points to a creator who deserves to be worshipped. The whole Bible. Every part of the Bible. We serve a mighty God. A mighty God who actually gave us the word, but he is not limited by the word. He is not limited by the word. And basically the Bible is his love letter to us as a people. It's his love letter. All parts of it. All parts of it. You guys with me? Yes. Okay. Okay. So Al has unpacked over the last couple of weeks the heart of worship. And how when Ezekiel saw the Lord, it was so profound. There were the wheels upon wheels. There were the, the, the different faces of creation. Uh, it was so profound for him. The Lord's Spirit had to get him up to stand before God, right? And he was only able to do it with the Lord's Spirit. He, once he experienced the grandeur and the majesty of the Father, the scripture says that he sat for seven days until it be astonished, blown away. 
Also then, Al talked about last week, idolatry. And how, before we know it, we can find ourselves worshiping those small G-gods in our lives, right? Career, success, money, a relationship. All of those things creep in, and we create little idols. And before we know it, we're far, we're distant from God. And the quote that Al used from John Calvin was so powerful. He says that the human heart is an idol factory. Just is. Thank God for Jesus. Thank God for Jesus. All right, so let's turn in our Bibles. Now, I actually have asked that we put this, we put up the this scripture in Ezekiel 22, verse 25 to 31, that we put it up in the message translation. Now, you can use your red Bible. It's on page 692. But I, I read it a lot of times when I'm studying the Bible, I'll read in different translations. I'm sure you all do that. Um, but I like the message translation. And I actually, what kind of preacher leaves their Bible down there? I'm like, let's see if I can see it. Well, I think I can see it, though. I think I can see it. I can see it. I mean, that is tacky. Right there. That is so bad. How embarrassing. We're keeping it real in this church, right? We keep it real here. Okay. So let's look at Ezekiel 22. I told you guys I had a bad week. (laughs) Ezekiel 22. And we're looking at starting in verse 25 to 31. So the message says that God's message came to me. Son of man, tell her you're a land that during the time I was angry with you got no rain. Not so much as a spring shower. The leaders among you became desperate, like roaring, ravaging lions, killing indiscriminately. They grabbed and looted, leaving widows in their wake. Your priests violated my law and desecrated my holy things. They can't tell the difference between sacred and secular. They told people there's no difference between right and wrong. They're contemptuous of my holy Sabbath profaning me by trying to pull me down to their level. Your preachers cover up for politicians by pretending to have received visions and special revelations. They say, this is what what God, the master, says when God hasn't said so much as one word. Extortion is rife. Robbery is epidemic. The poor and needy are abused. Outsiders are kicked around at will with no access to justice. I looked for someone, anyone, to stand up for me against all of this, to repair the defenses of the city, to take a stand for me, and to stand in the gap to protect this land so I wouldn't have to destroy it. I couldn't find anyone, not one. So I'll empty out my wrath on them, burn them to a crisp with my hot anger, serve them with the consequences of all they've done, decree of God, the master. So I want you to take this scene in. Pretty graphic, right? 
It's actually under the chapter heading, Sins of Jerusalem. In Lamentations, you start, and I, I was looking in Lamentations, and it talks about how Jerusalem was, how gorgeous Jerusalem was, a city on a hill, right? And God laments about his lovely Jerusalem. Look at her, Jerusalem. You were once a queen among cities. Your walls were full. Your splendor was well known because of me. You are my people. Now look at you. You are full of violence. You're looting widows. Your priests are violating and tearing down holy things and treating them as if they are common. Jerusalem, you disregard the Sabbath, a day of rest and honor of the Lord. Your princes should have protected and helped the innocent. Preachers and politicians conspiring together. Husbands were committing incest, brothers abusing their sisters. There's dissension, neighbors turning against neighbors and spreading lies. Sin was rampant in this once jewel of a city. God, (laughs) he called out everyone, all parts of the society. The princes, the politicians, the preachers, the priests. They were all corrupt. None could stand in the gap. And so the cry was to Ezekiel at this moment, Ezekiel, who can stand in the gap? Who can stand? Now, when you think about a gap, a gap represents a break or a breach in the wall. I had a friend that said he went to Jerusalem and um, he said, you know, you going to the city of Jerusalem, but it's like, you know, it's a slog up to, it's, it's, a, it's a walled city, it's a, it's a hike. But there was a, a break in that wall, and the wall of a city really was its form of protection, right? That's how they kept the enemies out. But for Jerusalem, that break, that breach of that wall was symbolic of spiritual death. There was a gap in God's presence had left, presence had left. So has God always had this idea and thought about uh, a um, someone to stand in the gap? I kind of call them gap dwellers. I kind of made it up. I don't know if it's true or not. I just like that it came to me. Where are the gap dwellers? Right? Remember Abraham when the outcry of sin was so great from Sodom and Gomorrah. He was going to destroy the whole city, and Abraham came to him and he said, Lord, if there are 50 people there, what are you going to do? What about if there's only 10? You know how the story goes, right? What if there's just one? Are you going to destroy it? Of course, he's thinking about his nephew Lot, right? Abraham was a gap dweller. What about when the Israelites were drawn up on one hill and the Philistines were on another hill and there was a valley between them 
and they were in dread of Goliath, the massive Philistine, nine foot tall, evil looking dude, right? Nothing but evilness. He was threatening to annihilate God's people. But who was going to stand up to, to, to Goliath? Who would stand in the gap? And then this little shepherd boy comes from out in the fields who had been mining the lambs, right? The little shepherd boy David comes in. And he says, you know what? The Lord rescued me from the paw of a lion, and he rescued me from the paw of the bear, and he will rescue me from the paw of this Philistine. He was a gap dweller. Do you have what it takes to be a gap dweller? And of course, Jesus, right? Speak the name of Jesus. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Speak the name of Jesus. Jesus, our blessed Jesus, he died on the cross for every person in this room. He stood in the gap for us when we didn't even deserve it. Imagine how shocking it must have been for God not to find one gap dweller in Jerusalem. So how do we become gap dwellers? You might be saying to yourself. <laughs> right now, in my life, in this culture, how do I become a gap dweller? Do I even need to be a gap dweller? Well, yes, you do. <laughs> you definitely do. If you're a believer, you need to be a gap dweller. God is counting on you. I believe it's through Romans 12.1 that we are to be living sacrifices. The scripture says, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. We are never going to be free of sin, but we sure can be grateful for what Jesus did for us, right? His death, that we received a second chance, that his mercy, and because of his mercy, our life will allow us to be a living sacrifice. So what does that mean? You know, I've read that scripture a lot. Everybody in this room probably read that scripture before, right? Lots of times. And I think, you know, over the years, I've been in faith a long time. Um, as a Christian, I've thought that I kind of knew what it meant. <laughs> um, and actually, um, as I was sitting in my hotel room uh, this week, I was just, I just prayed. I just, Lord, please illuminate. Give me, tell me your heart. You know, before I prepare anything um, to speak, I'm always asking God, God, I do not want to speak out of my intellect. I do not want to speak on my history with you. I want to speak what you want me to speak at this moment in time right? And uh, I took a shower, and it's always in the shower that the Holy Spirit comes to me. <laughs> yeah, the Holy Spirit is in the shower with you. <laughs> okay. He goes in there, he's ready. <laughs> and the Spirit said these exact words, don't they know I'm worth it? Don't they know I'm worth it? If 
you struggle with being a gap dweller, I'm wondering if you realize that God is worth it. He's worth it. Nothing else in this life is worth it. He is worth it. It's everything that's found in an unrequited love story. Um, you know, in a Hollywood movie. I love a good romance movie, much to my husband's chagrin. <laughs> he quickly picks up a phone and starts to, when we start putting, if I put on, you know, it's got to be Vikings or, <laughs> or a Western, <laughs> something, you know. And, uh, but it's that unrequited, uh, you know, love story. God is just looking for us to love him back, to understand who he is, you know. It's that whole Phantom of the Opera thing. You know, it's just, it's just this desire for us to get who he really is, that he, to know that he's worth it. And so to be a living sacrifice, number one, that's holy and pleasing to God, you have to see God as he really is. Do you see God as he really is? You know, the world sees him as some big ogre in the sky, right? If God was so good, why didn't he do this? Why didn't he stop this? Why didn't he stop? You know, they see him as just kind of bearing down. And even reading that scripture at the end, he said he was going to burn him to a crisp. You guys are going, whoa, God was taking that. He was serious, but he'd given him a chance. He was looking for someone, right? right? Or if the world feels nice, they'll tell you that he's like Shrek, you know, kind of big, you know. No, that's not our God. That's not our God. God is love. God is holy. God is as gentle as a dove. God is spirit. God is a God who doesn't care about what you look like. He cares about what's inside of you. God is the father in the parable of the prodigal, prodigal son who ran, he ran, God ran to his lost son. He put a ring on his finger and he decided to kill the fattened calf and throw a party because his son who was lost was now found. That is our God. God is a God that praised the sinful woman who washed his feet with her hair and her tears. That's God. God is Jesus who wept at the tomb of Lazarus. He is the God that knew you when you were knitted together in your mother's womb. Do you believe it? Every person in here, he knew you when you were being knitted together in your mother's womb. And he grieves for every wound that you've suffered with in the past and even currently. That is who God is. That is who God is. He's not Shrek. He is love. To be a living sacrifice that's holy and pleasing to God, your attitude has to be one of 
not my will, but your will be done. Not my will, but your will be done. Now, what does that mean? In Luke 22, 42, you see the scripture, Father, and this is Jesus. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? And his time has come near. He's going to go to the cross. He says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. But not as I will, but your will be done. Jesus knew that he was going to die. And I think a lot of us think that he just kind of just skipped elude on up on that cross. No, this brother's saying, no, he did not. No, he did not. He was struggling. He was struggling. Remember, he was fully human, right? He was struggling. And the Bible says at that point of weakness, an angel came. An angel came to strengthen him, to help him have that courage to keep going. But more than that, he obeyed and he submitted to God's will. Imagine if he didn't do that. Where would you be? Where would I be? Yeah? So in order to be a living sacrifice that is holy and pleasing to the Lord, you have to obey God. <laughs> you got to obey God. And sometimes that's not very easy, right? It's not easy. It's not easy to obey the Lord. Come on. For some of us, think, yeah, it's really easy for me. Well, hallelujah. <laughs> good for you. You are so good. I am a sinner way back. Back, 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 back. <laughs> Sometimes it's not hard. You know what? The culture will tell us it's okay to do this. Or, you know, my, you know, if you're, if you're tired, just kind of lay on the couch and don't go to church today. Or don't go to, you know, your life group. Or your relationships will say, ah, you don't really need to do all that. You're a good person. You're, you, you give to the poor. Right? It doesn't take much to go around this congregation and hear stories of people who are propelling good forward, right? They are living sacrifices. If I think of Patrice Gapo, where is she? Patrice, she writes about issues of diversity because she knows it matters to the kingdom of God. Or Allison. Allison, she's very justice-minded, right? She goes out and she marches for women. She leads our women's ministry. Or Jamie Farrell and Louisa Farrell. They, the, they, they, y'all have a hall to drive, right? Yeah, they are at everything. First thing in the morning. Amazing couple. Amazing couple. I've had the privilege of sitting at his dinner table. Amazing couple. And they work at least once a month with a homeless ministry. Is it Meet Me Under the Bridge? Every week they go out and serve the poor. Luis is working with the Abandoned Project. On Wednesdays, I believe she goes and helps those girls as well. We have a ministry team here that are living sacrifices, right? They're obeying the voice of God in their life. The folks, they're the folks that stand in the gap. They're being led by Rick. Yeah. And Lynn, with the prophetic, she's helping people to understand what the Lord wants them to know and about him. She's helping people to understand you don't have to be in bondage any longer, right? Karen and Laurel, 
teaching our kids about kingdom living, how to be a kingdom dweller, right? Jill Miller, Dre, Karen, the rest of the council, helping to shape the vision of the church, supporting Al as lay people. Or all the band members, come on. The band is so, last week, Bob and I were laughing. The band was so good. And they were, they're good this week, don't get me wrong. The band's good this week, too. <laughs> right? They were, they, the, the band, the singers, these people sacrifice their lives, right? They come in on, on during the week, they're practicing. We got people that are on this stage, like, this isn't their normal gig, right? We've got doctors that are singing up here. We got lawyers, we got scientists, we got uh, mothers, singles. All of these folks are serving in our ministry because they are helping you. The band is helping to serve your heart up to God. They're, they're, they're splitting that heart open and making it ready for the gospel. Or Patty and Larry, who lead our outreach ministry. Uh, let me just tell you a little story about Patty. Two years ago, I saw Patty uh, playing soccer. Now, Patty's a mature woman, beautiful, mature woman. <laughs> she had on her little shorts, and she was playing soccer. I was like, what is going on with the refugee kids? She's amazing. They have a heart. They could just take it easy, right? They could just take it easy. They're living sacrifices. Taylor and Savannah and Kelly Burns. Leading our life groups. They're, they, you know, uh, y'all see Kelly up here with that baby strapped over, right? They, <laughs> when I had my baby, I, I didn't even want to leave the house. <laughs> right, these people, Taylor and Savannah, just calling, checking in on the life groups, helping to shape the vision of the life groups. All of you who show up to experiencing God's all the time, right? Hour of power, Wednesday morning prayers. You are living sacrifices of worship. If you signed up last week for a connection fair, you did it because you want to be a gap dweller. You want to be holy and pleasing to the Lord. You thought you'd just put your name on a piece of paper. But the Lord saw you. He saw you. He says, there's my gap dweller. They want to be holy. They want to be connected. They want to be a part of this community. They're all in. They're all in. How are we doing? At least. You guys keep turning me off. I'm like, am I going too long? <laughs> what time is it? <laughs> in order to be a living sacrifice for God that's holy and pleasing, you have to take your sin seriously. You have to take your sin seriously. Okay? I like what Al said last week. You don't have to be perfect. You just have to be in process. That was so good. That I thought about that all week. You know, last week, let me tell you a little story. I came to church. I had the burden of sin on my heart. And I told my husband about it while we were driving to church. And we talked because the Bible commands us to confess our sin to one another so that you may be healed. And I want to be healed. So I confessed to my husband. 
And during the worship, and Alan preached about idolatry, I literally uh, started crying, like uncontrollably crying. And the Holy Spirit really revealed to me the open door where that open door came. And it, it was around the age of about 10 or 11. And it was so profound. I've never experienced anything like it. I actually felt like I was 10 or 11. And I heard my 10 or 11 voice, 10 or 11 year old voice, actually crying out. It was very profound. And I just couldn't stop crying. And it was God gently restoring my heart. And he was saying, this is where your sin started. This is where that struggle for you started. And so I spoke to someone who was down the, kind of down the, um, you know, road for me and uh, wrote a little note. And she prayed for me. Um, and I believe she was a gap dweller for me right at that moment. Because I could have um, kind of poo-pooed everything that just happened, right? But it was the Holy Spirit. And she confirmed that through prayer. And that door was shut. I can run into the arms of Jesus. And really, um, he revealed to me just really the depth of the sin. So I want to tell you something. Sin is destructive. Sin is voracious. Sin wants its own way. You can't outsmart it. You can't. I don't care what kind of sin you're on right now. Don't think you've got it under control because you don't. It has always been in the world since the serpent was in the Garden of Eden. And it will always be because we live in a fallen world. But the good news is, is that we have each other to hold each other. And we have Jesus, right? We have Jesus. We have his grace. We have his love, right? We stand in the gap as a ministry for each other. We do it through prayer, right? That's the, that's the, the um, you know, the, the part that's important. We pray for each other. When we have ministry time, we pray. It's through deliverance. It's through the work of the Spirit. You're God's dear child. Everyone in here, right? And we as a community, we all are living sacrifices. Thank you so much for letting me speak to you. Thank you so much. Be blessed. Be blessed. Thank you very much. Should we stand?